and welcome back to another episode of the O-Word Podcast, where we start with a word and end with a story. My name is Omar, and I'm here with my co-host, Johnny. Hi, my name is Johnny, and uh, welcome to our podcast. This is the podcast where we take a word from a random word generator. Uh, I think it's like wordgenerator.com, something like that. Something pretty mm-hmm. simple. Then uh, we take that word, go our separate ways, and then try to find our own stories to come back and present to each other. And before we start, that was my water ball and just fell. It's all right. <laughs> All right, so I just want to say happy National Pizza Party Day, everyone. So uh, today we're graduating. You having a pizza party? I'm having a pizza party. I will not be having a pizza party. What's your favorite pizza party? Like your like uh, chain pizza? Oh, favorite pizza chain? Domino's. Easy. Domino's? <sighs> okay, so I always thought Domino's was my favorite because growing up, like, that's all I ate, Domino's. Uh-huh. Because that was the closest one. And for a while, that was our most stable option. The Domino's. Okay. But uh, now I'm thinking, like, Pizza Hut's pretty good. No. You don't like Pizza Hut? No. Disagree. I, okay, I've never had Papa John's, so I can't Strong speak on that. Papa John's is good, but uh, Domino's, Domino's is better. It's that garlic, huh? Every, I can't really talk about it, because whatever pizza people talk about, the argument's always, oh, that tastes like cardboard. Okay, that's I strongly wrong. disagree. Yeah, yeah. All all the chain pizzas are pretty good. Yes. The only bad one is Pizza Hut does have one, the square ones, the rectangle uh, ones. Yeah, the box. Those are trash. Yeah. Those are like those microwave shitty ones you have at like high school, middle school lunch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, while we enjoy our pizza at our uh, pizza Graduation party. Graduation party, dude. Congrats, by the way. Congrats to you too, Omar. I know. That's why I said congrats. I just wanted to receive You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, wait. Before... Okay, let's just start the podcast. We, we oh, yeah, that. yeah. It's a long report Okay, for so our word for this episode will be empty. E-M-P-T-Y, empty. So um, not very uh, good potential for a happy podcast. Yeah. Being empty. We decided two podcast episodes ago we were going to do a happier episode. Yeah. And then you texted me the word is empty. And I found nothing but depression. To be fair, our last one was pretty happy. Yeah, no, yeah. it was failures. No, no, no. It was finals. Yeah, it's funny stories. Funny story. All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just get started. So my article is called or titled Investigator Who Caught Alleged Serial, serial Killer Tells All. So a dark episode? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, it gets dark. Well, if there's just one thing I hate in this world, it's serial killers. But if there's one thing I love in this world, it's podcasts on serial killers. Really? You like those? Yeah, I like the mystery behind it. See, I've always thought serial killer things were interesting, like uh, movies, TV shows, and mm-hmm. I've listened to like podcasts on it too. It's really interesting. And then we'll talk about some of those things that I find interesting throughout oh, wow. this. Let's get into it. All right. So last year, police hauled in a man that they think is the Golden State Killer. So have you heard of the Golden State Killer? Yes. Okay. Well, you're about to learn more about him. Again. So, uh, did you know that he got caught? Like, did you hear about this at all? No. I, I, mm, yeah, I I don't know. I think I'm getting him in the Zodiac Killer, also from California. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I heard, like, of a, gl- a glimpse of this guy, but I've, like, I heard a glimpse of him being caught. But the Golden State Killer is a really popular serial, serial killer. Should I say infamous? So uh, he was responsible for at least 13 homicides and 50 rapes in the 1970s and 80s. So he was actually 
Um, his name was, oh, or the investigator's name is Paul Holes. He's a retired cold case investigator. He got really obsessed with like catching this golden, the Golden State Killer. He started like right out of the academy. He this is all he did. This was in his career. Yeah, this, this is his like whole life basically. Wait, so did he retire when he caught him, or did he retire and then kept looking for him? Um, I think so. I don't think he caught him. Oh, because he's retired. <laughs> So some other people might have caught Citizens him. arrest. Wait, no, but he... No, I'm wrong. Investi- investigator who caught a legislator killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess he did. Okay. So I think he might have retired and like he still continued to work on this. Because this really was his like his thing. Like He probably went on dates and was like, this is what I do. <laughs> that this was on my, his dating profile bio. That's his only hobby. Like That's all he talks about. <laughs> his bio is just, I will find you. <laughs> Golden State Killer or not. Oh, yeah, Perfect yeah. girl. In case they're looking, it's like, just know that I'm looking for you. All right, so uh, I'll this kind of, like, this is a, a quick news article that kind of summarizes everything, but I'm going to talk about the details later. So uh, basically what happened was DNA from old crime scenes led to that the investigators to a 73-year-old man named Joseph D'Angelo, and he was caught, and he was the Golden State Killer. So the DNA was compared to some genetic profiles from those online ancestry sites. You know, mm-hmm. you know the D- the ones where you spit and you send in there. Like, yeah, yeah, and they're like, hey. we own your DNA now. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, Didn't you do that? I did. What'd you find out? So uh, I found out Vietnamese. I'm Vietnamese. Surprise. Sixty six percent. What? But turns out I was like seventeen percent Cambodian. Okay. So I'm really Cambodian apparently. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty Chinese too. Yeah. So basically, I'm a, a two thirds Vietnamese and uh, one sixth. Wait, That's two sixths. What's uh? Yeah, yeah, one sixth. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically two thirds Vietnamese, one sixth Cambodian, and one sixth Chinese. Does that add up? That's two sixths. Yeah, dude, that third. adds up. Yeah. <sighs> Math genius. But that's that's me. But maybe in the future, I'll lead to the catch of a, a more Asian. You could become serial a killer. serial killer, and then they'll have your DNA. That's true. I mean, that'd be easy though. They would just match me straight away. And like, it's Johnny. Yeah, and it's like, damn, I shouldn't have done that all those years ago. But uh, yeah, so now this guy is just sitting in the Sacramento jail, uh, on trial for twenty six of those charges, and the main investigator Holes said that D'Angelo didn't moved during an interview for over an hour and he thinks that this is the ability that allowed him to stalk his prey which sounds like a load of shit to me but what did it mean didn't move like apparently he did not move like a bit like just sat completely still what if he can just sleep with his eyes open his posture didn't move oh so he's saying like, "Ooh, this dude can really sit still. Maybe this is why he." That's uh, like the worst X-Men superpower ever. This dude can sit still. Say, like, hold on, guys, watch this. You saw that? I didn't even move. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to watch it for like an hour for it to be impressive. All right. So, uh, Hole said that like after catching the uh, Golden State Killer, there was an emptiness in his life. Because, it, like I said, that's yeah, all he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the first thing I thought when you were talking about it. I, like, 
what now, you know? Yeah, so, like, that, that was it. He, like, he just finishes going. He's like, wow, that's all I wanted to do. I guess I'm done on Earth. But to fill in, like, that, that void in his life, he uh, started a podcast. I was going to say he wrote a book, but I guess we're in the 21st century. No, no, he started a podcast. I mean, okay. who's going to book? Come on. Well, what's his, what's his podcast? It's called The Murder Squad, and he talks about unsolved cases and uh, missing missing persons cases and stuff like that. I think we have to solve a murder case to get some notoriety. You to know? get his respect? No, no, just to spread the word on, like, now we know about his podcast just because he caught a killer, you know? It's all, it's all a mystery. We'll, we'll do like a scavenger hunt sometime. All okay, right. So now I'm just going to talk about the Golden State Killer himself. So he is and was a serial killer, rapist, and burglar that committed at least 13 murders, more than 50 rapes, and over 100 burglaries, all in California from 1974 to 1986. Wow. Yeah. So he was very prolific. 12 years, dude. That's a lot. And, like, that's a lot of burglaries, too. A hundred? So, he was called different names in different areas until his crimes were connected to each other. He was called the East Area Rapist uh, when he was around the Sacramento area. He was called the Original Night Stalker in Southern California. And in, like, Visalia, California, he was called the Visalia Ransacker. So, in one city, he did the raping, and one, he did the killing, and then one, he did the robbery. Yeah, so, like, there's, like, different chapters in which he's, like, known as different things, and uh, basically, it just escalated. It started with burglaries, then it went to rapes, and then it went to murders. Okay. Okay, so... Not okay. I'm just saying, like, move on. Yeah, it's okay. We'll talk about his first chapter as the Vesalia Ransacker. So, this happened in April 74 to around, like, December 1975. So a lot of these crimes, like, they didn't know who actually did it at first. Like, mm. the crime doesn't just happen, and they think, oh, it was definitely the Vesalia Ransacker. Right. Um, after, with, like, a lot of investigation, and we can talk about, it, like, some statistics and stuff. All right, no, that's something else. But with some science, you know, doodads, stuff like that, they uh, kind of connect them all. Okay. Like, hey, this looks kind of So he familiar. had, like, uh, what is it, Mendes Operatum or something? An MO? Yeah. I don't speak Latin, but I speak (laughs) letters. Okay, so he was, um, in this time, he was believed to be responsible for only one murder. So I'm assuming because something went wrong or something like that Mm, um, during burglary. Um, So they're guessing around 120 burglaries in like 19 months. So like that time frame I gave you was only 19 months. He did 120 burglaries in those 19 months. Busy man, busy man. Yeah, so that's about that's like a little over six burglaries a month. That's a lot. So like over one a week. And, and you know he had to have hit a couple houses in a night. He, he must was on have a hot streak, you know, to to like meet his quota or yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's crazy. Because like, I don't, I don't think I'm that committed to anything. Um, like, like brush my teeth, shower maybe. Rarely. <laughs> Rarely. Okay, so it so it looks uh, like as a burglar, he wasn't very good because he would mess up people's items and drawers, but he only stole like coins and low value or like personal items. Oh, so then he, he's just doing it for the fun. I think he was just breaking it for fun because he would ignore like the expensive things like banknotes and other things and that were in like plain sight. He was like, you know what? I'm just having a good time. 
It's like that that little video of the kid. He's like, I'm just trying to do hood shit things with my friends. Hood, yeah, hood yeah, yeah. rat, hood rat shit with my friends. I'm just trying to do hood rat things with my friends. Something like that. Like he was just hanging out in people's homes. Um, so the statutes of limitations on the bur- burglaries expired. So they couldn't even charge him on these things when he got okay, caught. Okay, so that was why it was only 26 counts. Uh, yeah. That he's being tried with right now. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the burglaries, and uh, I mentioned later, like, the the rapes, those were all, like... Yeah, statute limitations. Yeah, so, that's crazy. But, I mean, I get it, I guess. This is a very special case. That's, like, the ultimate game, you know? Committing a crime and then being, like, now, I wait four years. (laughs) It's like, now I can say it. Like, hey, I did it, fellas. It was me all along. Okay, so uh, I guess he's done with burglarizing now, and we're gonna move on to the era that he was considered. Or so, so he's known as so many different names because mm-hmm. um, these were in different eras, so they didn't know these uh, different eras of the um, Golden State Killer were like, connected. Okay, so they they thought it was different people, but now um, as the East Area Rapist, he was active. I guess from June nineteen seventy six. To July 1979. So, oh, so years. he took, what, a two-year break from 74 to 76? So, a two-year break? Uh, not like six months. Six-month break? Okay, that's yeah. admirable. <laughs> he, took a, he took a little hiatus. Yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Took a little... Vacation. Uh, what, no, no. What's it called? Where you, you take a time to focus on a sabbatical. He took a sabbatical. He took a six-month sabbatical. What a guy. Really hone in on his craft. Oh, God. All right, so as the East Area Rapist, he stalked middle-class neighborhoods at night to find women that were alone, specifically in, like, one-story homes and usually by schools, creeks, and trails and other open spaces because he actually used those open spaces to escape. Okay. So he tried to stay off the roads as much as he could, Mm -hmm. which is pretty smart. Because cop cars can't drive in the woods. Exactly. They don't want to plow through some kids. Why do you think one-story houses only? You think he doesn't like stairs? I feel like it's it's harder to drag a woman upstairs. Yeah, like more floors, more problems. Yeah, like the more escape area. is one set of stairs. Yeah, like he has to run downstairs. That's yeah. dangerous. You're not supposed to run downstairs. So um, I'm during... not taking notes. I should clarify. I'm not taking notes. Like advice. Omar's actually recording this all, so he can. Uh, yeah, I'm writing notepad and pen. <laughs> really recording this all, so he can listen back on it and learn. So, uh, while he's doing these things, he was never caught, obviously, but he was seen a few times. Yeah, way to start with the spoilers at the beginning of the story. Yeah, that's true. Huh? He gets caught, everyone. Way to kill the suspense five minutes in and then move on. All right, so, yeah, he, he was seen a number of times, and he was even shot once. He got shot once. Shot and at or shot? No, oh, he got okay. shot and, like, seriously wounded. Some dude was like, hey, get him. And they got him. So the craziest part to me is that, well, it's not crazy, but he would prepare. It's not that surprising that he would prepare, but like the way he did was pretty surprising. So he would do things like scope out the homes and neighborhood, you know, stuff that makes kind of we call that recon. Oh yeah, yeah, my bad, recon. I don't, I don't know the uh, specific terms. Okay, Um, but he was thought to enter homes in advance to unlock windows unload guns and plant tools and items for later use that's insane that's the crazy part to me that is terrifying it's obsessive behavior you know 
Yeah, like it is. That's the difference between a rapist and a serial killer. It, it shows like how much he planned this. Yeah. And how careful he was to not get caught. Like it, it makes sense why he didn't get caught for so long. Yeah. And to think that someone could be in your home, unlocking windows, unloading guns, planning the items and stuff, like doing all those things, and like you just go home and you don't even know. Like imagine if you came one day, maybe not your gun, but maybe uh, let's see, uh, you go home and all the water in your your Brita filter is empty. It's like you don't think anything of it. It's like okay, that happens all the time, but I understand. Yeah, but it like, takes you, so long to fill up, you know. Right you show up it's like what when did that happen that's weird but you don't think oh some dude's been in my home drinking my water i mean someone literally is in your home drinking your water being your sister but that's a bad analogy don't worry about that (laughs) okay so he even called his potential victims in advance to like learn their daily routine so, I mean, he's not asking. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah if they don't pick up, they're not home. Exactly. I gotcha. So, he's not asking. He's like, hey, so, like, what do you usually do on Tuesdays? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like, all right, they're home on all the Fridays. They're not doing anything. But Saturday, they, they're going wild, and that's when he goes wild. But um, he originally, like, towards the beginning of this time frame, he targeted women that were alone. But... um. After a while, he started preferring, like, attacking couples. So, he would, like, have the husbands tied up, and he would put plates on their back. And he would say, like, if you moved or if these plates rattled at all, like, I'm going to kill everyone in the home. That's psycho. So, that's a pretty smart alarm system. But also psycho and terrifying. And he would, after he would do that, he would do other terrible things to the other people in the home which i don't really want to talk that much about yeah yeah you can you can imagine and um yeah this dude was i don't know dude that's terrible um after like he did whatever he did sometimes he would just hang out in the home so he would just like eat some food drink some beer and then after he was done he felt like he had a good time or whatever he would just leave he wouldn't he wouldn't make it known that he left he just left real quietly so like mm-hmm. the people in the home never knew when he left why did it take so long to catch this guy if he's not killing anyone um i don't know i guess that like there's a lot of sketches of him right right that's um, what i mean so i don't i don't know maybe he was just that careful you know he was that sure to never be seen by anyone when he was committing these crimes other than the people in the home Right, but those people are still witnesses. It's crazy. I don't know. Um, I think he's just super lucky. And there weren't, like, cameras or anything like that either. Yeah, I, I don't know. Probably had disguises, too. Like, some of these sketches he has, like... It um, doesn't look like it. Stuff around his face. But, like, a lot of these sketches, like, have his actual face, too. So, not too sure why he didn't get caught for so long. But, um... Yeah, after like he would leave quietly, he would mm-hmm. just go through those open areas, and uh, it's believed that he would just like w- walk or run whatever he did a far distance, and then he would get to like a car, or bike, and use that to get away. Okay. So that was pretty smart because like he was trying to not stay on the roads or get caught. Um, and then like while he was the 
in this era of the East Area Rapist. He mainly just broke into people's homes and raped, but he did murder a couple that was walking their dog. And I'm guessing that's because they were possible witnesses. Mm. But that's all he did. So, like, that's that's sick. Like, that's all he did it for. How many? 50-something? Um, That was overall. Okay. In this era... Yeah, I mean, it looks like 50. I think uh, there's like a little little table in here. Uh, about, well, about 50. The next logical thing would be tax evasion, right? What? Oh, it's murder. He murders. Okay. That's for sure. Because um, later on, he's known as the original Night Stalker. That was from October 1979 to May 1986. So that's a time span of seven years. I think there was a big gap. Yeah, like a, a relatively big gap between the second to last and the last one. Mm-hmm. So most of them were between 1979 and 1981. There was like a five-year gap where he uh, was active again in 1986. Okay. Okay. So, like you said, in this part of his life, in this chapter of his book, he decides to start murdering people. Um but it didn't start smoothly because the first couple that he attacked actually survived. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone else was killed by either gunshot or bludgeoning. Oof. Yeah. So, um, there are actually a lot of details on um, his crimes. Like, each murder, I guess, has a little short paragraph of the description of it. But uh, I'm not going to really focus on that. I'm kind of more interested in, like, what the investigators did and okay. him as a person like why he did or his like description and stuff like that but uh i, I do want to talk a little bit about um what he did in this time and a lot of his crimes were in the location of irvine you know where irvine is irvine, irvine california, california yeah, yeah. yeah so that's kind of scary because like i actually have a lot of family there and like i've been there it's like a it's a nice area mm-hmm. At least now it is. I don't know about in the 70s, 80s. Well, no, there was a serial killer on the loose. Right. <laughs> At that time, not that fun. But like, it, it's a nice area where people are pretty well off. And like you would think, you know, you'd be pretty safe in an area like that. Mm-hmm. And this dude wasn't just burglarizing in that area. He was like killing and stuff. So it's not like you would think, oh, I'm well off. So people might burglarize me. Because I'm well off, right? Right. That didn't even happen. Like, this dude was just crazy. Um, psychopathic, mm. I would say, rather than just a little crazy. So, um, in here they have the physical characteristics of him. So, like, this is like their his entire profile, I guess. So his um, physical characteristics; these are characteristics that um, law enforcement and stuff knew as like facts. Like, mm. this is true from witnesses and stuff like that. But it's pretty average. Like, a lot of it's really average. Oh, he fits. Oh, we downed it down to half of all California kind of thing. Right. Because it's like, okay, he's a white male. Okay. So, like, I'm sure there's a lot of white guys in that area. He's about 5'10", which I think is literally the average height in the United States for a man. I think it's like 76% of men are under 5'11". Right. So, he's, like, right at 5'10". I don't know why it sounds like I looked that statistic up to feel better about myself. <laughs> you looked at that. It's like, am I about average height? Um, he is slender to athletic build. 
in so, California. In yeah, the most 80s. people. This dude's like hiking and shit. Yeah, everyone in California is like hiking. His shoe size is nine to nine and a half. Which Very is, specific observation to make. Yeah, it's like a little small, but pretty average shoe size as well. Before I die, I need to check his shoe size. He probably wore like common shoes, like Converse or something. Like, yeah, like yeah, oh, let's yeah. just find the guy with the Converse. Okay, so he had type A blood. That's very specific. Oh, you want to get more specific? He was a non-secretor, which means his sperm did not contain blood group antigens. I don't know what that really means. So specific. Yeah, well, they had lots of other crime scenes. Yeah, that's uh, true. He was physically agile and capable of sprinting, bicycling, and scaling fences. So clearly he was seen sprinting, bicycling, and scaling fences. Right. I mean, that was his mode of escape, you know? Yeah, like, that that was his thing. He liked to bike. That's why he was so fit. He rode a bike a lot. Yeah, yeah, Okay, so these are some other characteristics that were, like, probable. So, like, you know, not facts, but you mm. know, probably true. Uh, 18 to 25 years old when the race began. And he was believed to be, like, 60 to 75 in 2018, which was pretty correct. Uh, blonde or brown hair so that was conjectured because I guess they had a lot of conflicting things um, it was blue. a dirty blonde it was dirty blonde or a light brown mm, it was probably disgusting because he's a terrible person uh, well <laughs> I don't know most serial killers you see just look like normal people that's very true that's Which very true all the more frightening or I think what's more frightening is that they seem like good people like above average people yeah, 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 like they seem like charis- Ted Bundy. Yeah, like charismatic, yeah. relatively good looking. That I think that's even scarier. Yeah, I could see that. Well, a good good news is he probably had a small penis. This was in his probable characteristics <laughs> profile: good penis news. size small or smaller than average. So we have that to celebrate. Uh, that's probably what turned him down this path, Johnny. People like you. I'm shaming him. <laughs> shaming him for his penis size. Well, you know what? He's a bad person and he deserves it. So, um, this is his next is his psychological profile. So this was put together based on probabilistic analysis, which I think is really cool. This is what I was talking about earlier, like statistics. Oh, uh, I knew there was gonna be math when you said right, this, this is what I like. This it's it's interesting though, because like right, this, well, this stuff like you don't explain know. Explain it to me like I'm a five year old. Okay, so basically from what they knew and what they didn't know, they kind of like guessed his other descriptions, his okay. other attributes. So that's pretty interesting because like it's it's something called like machine learning that you can do. Like they have different algorithms where, for example, uh, you can guess the risk of someone having a heart attack based on their age, gender, weight, uh, average blood pressure and stuff like that. So I'm sure they just had a bunch of um, like white guys that were 5'10", same build, same shoe size and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And from there, like they could see like, oh, he was also this. He was also that. Okay. Based on what he did, uh, he was very careful. You know, that means he was this and he was that. And you can guess like the other thing. Right, right, right. So using statistics. Size 9. And he liked to run, which means he ran on flat roads because inclines would be too hard for his little feet. 
Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but they would use computers. Not me. And they have a lot of other. No, no, they call me, and I'm like, <laughs> "All right, give me the, give me the uh, categories." Okay. Yeah. No. So yeah, he bicycles. Imagine a lot. that. Like they just call a guy. It's he like, rides a mongoose. It's like, hey, what do you think about this guy? It's like, hmm. Oh yeah, I have a friend that's exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he loves to wear Converse. So you, you buy the friend Converse, and then they're like. What is this? It's like, it's wow. Like, well, my friend knows someone who's also white, age 15 to 25, who's about your weight. So he figured he'd like Converse. <laughs> I went to a school uh, in Irvine, California, where uh, everyone fit that description. That's crazy. Let me, <laughs> I'll give you their phone number. But they got him, Johnny, so it works. Hey, you're right. They got him. So uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them because like, there's a lot of them. Okay. So his this is, again, his psychological profile that was based off a statistical analysis. I'm sorry, probabilistic analysis. Okay. Probably had this. Yeah, so he probably dressed well and would not stand out in upscale neighborhoods. Ah, that's a good one because he always attacked the middle class to upper class neighborhoods. Yeah, and like this area he was in was like not that not that bad. Uh he hated he probably hated women for actual wrongs or like perceived wrongs. So, like, someone probably broke up with him and, uh... Body shamed him. Like, yeah. He... First of all, he's a terrible person. I'm okay. not justifying it. I should, <laughs> yeah, I should say that. This guy's no, a scumbag. Kidding. Uh, I mean, he can still have good attributes, even though he's a terrible person. Like, mm. he probably dresses well, so, according to this. That's maybe you're a good person. <laughs> uh, but it's terrifying that a lot of these serial killers, like, take out their anger that they've had on someone else... Yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with it because they fit the description or they're similar. And that's scary because like, I feel like regular people do that a lot too. Like not even on purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's say like in, in, I don't know, in elementary school, some kid named Brad took your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and like bullied you a lot. Now, Have you been you, reading my journal? First of all, Omar, <laughs> we went to school together. <laughs> no. <laughs> So and you're then, mean to every other Brad. Exactly. Made. Or every time you hear the word or the name Brad, you just think like, ugh. Or you always pack two peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Just in case. Just in case. Because your new coworker is named Brad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone yeah. does it to some extent. So he's probably Not to murder his extent. No, yeah. no. But it's here that everyone has the that. Capability. The capability. That's terrifying. <laughs> It's a scary podcast. Um, Spooky. He was also probably intelligent and articulate. So I'm assuming based on the interactions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like, have you heard a thing about where like CEOs are mainly like psychopaths? Yes. A lot of them a are. A lot of them are, yeah. Because they have to like basically do what it takes to get to the position where they are. So this guy had a lot of those um, attributes that could be perceived as positive. So he was a CEO? He was self-assured and confident. Oh, okay. Uh, he would continue committing violent crimes until uh, he was stopped. Wait, never mind. Not that one. My bad. I didn't mean to read that one. But uh, he was confident and like arrogant and manipulative. So basically, he, he did... He could have been a CEO. Yeah. But he didn't. It's crazy. He's very manipulative. Hey, lights, if life was a bunch of... What is it? Uh, peanuts and if, candy, candy uh, if, and nuts. If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, then 
uh, some Life we'd have a good time. Great. He this guy wouldn't exist. Would not have existed. Or he'd be the CEO of Apple. He would be Tim Cook. <laughs> oh God, Tim <laughs> Cook. You good? Okay, so he um, even after like all the crimes, he really liked to mess with people. Like he would call them and uh, something oh, like that. That's the worst, dude. Yeah, he's done a, enough. In like in two thousand one. Uh, he called the victim just to say, remember when we played? He, so he was about 51 years old at this point, and this would have been like 20, 30 years after any crime or That's... any interaction with this person like, or at all. I like the cat and mouse that serial killers will play with detectives and stuff, like leave them notes and write notes to the media like, you good can't do- catch me. It makes for good documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they start messing with the victims, that's just... That's dark. That's yeah. Like they know they have control. Or like this guy knew they're they untouchable. Had like he like just did what he wanted. And he he did this with several victims. Like he would call them and stuff like that. Okay. So now we're gonna talk about the actual guy behind this. His name is Joseph James D'Angelo. Hmm. And again, his nickname was the Golden State Killer. He was arrested at the age of 72 years old. And he was a former police officer in Auburn and Exeter, California. Okay, I I think I have heard of this guy. You've heard of him? Yeah, the former police officer. Yeah, former police officer. Very familiar. This arrest happened on April 2018. And when he was arrested, there were like eight counts of first-degree murder, they say first degree murder with special circumstances. And then he was later charged with like an additional four counts of first degree murder. So is that the only one that withheld the statute of limitations was within the statute of limitations? Yeah. I mean the murder the one, I don't think yeah. the murders had like statute of limitations. Oh, um, that's good to know. Yeah. Perfect. Just don't murder it. I guess I'm going to have to postpone my tell all book tips to serial killers. Don't murder. Wait, I guess they won't be serial killers. Serial criminals. Okay, so the way they caught this guy, again, was through DNA evidence. So they just took the DNA evidence that they had from all those crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Then they matched it to some website called GED Match. From there, they were... So that's a website that takes like the genetic profiles from all those Ancestry websites. Uh-huh. It's like 23andMe, Ancestry.com, stuff like that. From there, they found 10 to 20 distant relatives. So, um, all these people, distant relatives, not knowing that their relative could have or was the Golden State Killer. Um, and these distant relatives meant that they shared great, great, great grandparents to the serial killer. That's crazy. Yeah. Just like, man, I wonder where I'm from. Also, I just busted my cousin. <laughs> and from there they took like a team of five investigators and they worked with a genealogist named Barbara Ray Venter and with that obviously you can't do much with 10 to 20 distant relatives mm-hmm. um, considering they shared a great 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 yeah. grandparent oh that just downs it down to oh just still the same amount of people yeah tons hundreds yeah um, maybe even thousands I didn't do the math on that one. But uh, from there, they worked with her to create a large family tree. And, like, 
from there is where they start narrowing it down a lot more. Oh, so they just look for someone who lived in California during the 70s. I'm not too sure. So I would think that when they constructed this family tree, um, they would see like, okay, rule out all the women. Okay, yeah. Rule out all the men that could have lived during this time or couldn't have lived during this time. Like stuff like that. People who lived in California. Yeah. Or and even like would police have officers. fit or like didn't fit the description. Well, they right, didn't right. know he was a police officer. Yeah. Till they caught him. Um, so once they did the family tree business, whatever they did with that, they narrowed it down to two people. So from there, um, the other person was just ruled out by DNA. And then they were... It was about a, relief. Oh. Right? How terrifying would that be? They pull up and say, hey, you were We have a search warrant for the Golden State. We want your blood. I'm just hanging out with my grandchildren. They're <laughs> just hanging out. But um, the way they like verified 100% that it matched his DNA, mm-hmm. they actually like went to where he lived. And they and, pulled his pants down. No, they so they did it secretly. Just pulled his pants down. It's like, <laughs> give me DNA. Um, and they collected his DNA from uh, the door handle of his car, the tissue from his trash can outside, like the curbside mm-hmm. outside trash can. And from that, they were able to directly link it to the DNA they had. I hope they mess with him, like call him like, we know who you are. You know, leave a messages like that. <laughs> Remember when we played? <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, so, I'll, not a lot, but some people were concerned about the ethics of collecting his DNA in that way. What do you think about that? So, so like, collecting his DNA without his consent. Um... He did a lot of wrong, but I guess you are entitled to privacy. But, I mean, it's on. He left his fingerprints on public property, right? The state's property? It was this <laughs> no, it was a trash can. Oh, I thought you oh, said the trash can. Uh, they pulled the tissue from the trash can. Yeah, it's not his property anymore. The <laughs> DNA belongs to the world. Like, I get the concern because, like, this could set a precedence yeah. for like other people or other law enforcement doing that to people that are not guilty. Um, but like, but then the, that's fine. This, yeah, it's this, when they catch people who are guilty, but the fact that they are guilty yeah. makes you feel like it's justified because exactly. if it's someone who's innocent and they're getting their DNA, it's like, well, no, no harm done. Yeah. They're innocent. Like for this one, I feel like everyone should be like, you know what? They were pretty sure this was him. They just, we'll let it slide this time. Like they were just, it was just a formality. Yeah, because they could have got the search warrant, right? Yeah, right. sure. Like, you know what? Let's just turn a blind eye to this one. Time. I think more frightening would be the uh, how they downed it, like narrowed it down to him. So let's get DNA from everyone else and see who matches that. Wait, what? I'm confused. What, when they use that, uh, what's it called? MD. Uh, GED match. GED match. That's more frightening, I would say. Yeah. That feels like a greater invasion of privacy. Yeah. Because when you take that ancestry thing, you are saying, yeah, it's fine. You guys can use my DNA. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they used it to get to him is kind of... Like scary how much power DNA has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So, like, I did one, and I feel like there was a lot of things you give up privacy for convenience or a want yeah and as long as people go into it knowing which i'm sure a lot of people actually don't 
when they're receiving this as a gift, they're not doing extensive research on it. They're not reading the terms and conditions. Right. No, nobody reads this. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I knew my DNA was, like, able to be in their database and be used and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, I was okay with it. Yeah, me too. I'm not going to be a serial yeah. killer. I'm curious enough to where I want to see it, to where, like, I'll do that. Uh, I've never been curious to take one because I would be like, big whoop. <laughs> surprise, surprise, I'm Mexican. Okay, no, yeah. you should do it because you're going to find out it's like, ooh, I'm... Native American. Native American, yeah. Uh, that would have been great to know before college. Get all those scholarships. That's true. But um, you always go back. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't have a big deal with privacy anymore, just because like we all our social security numbers are out there already, right? It's like two thirds of Americans, one in every, or two oh, in every three Americans' you, social security numbers. You're talking like the Equifax. Business? Yeah, the Equifax leak. I don't know. Yeah. Facebook and what was it called? Uh, some about brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some word related to the brain. Cere- cerebral, cerebral. Yeah, collecting data on all of us and our <sighs> friends. I don't know. I have a theory, a personal theory, that like within the next hundred years, there's not going to be such thing as privacy. It's stuff like the Google Home. You know, they record your voice and stuff like that. Always listening. Don't Always s- listening. Don't say that too loud because my phone. Will- That's true. I mean, it's they're recording our voice every time we like make a command. Yeah. But uh, you know. You you give up some can privacy for that convenience because it makes sense. Like they I give it all up for ultimate convenience, right? I mean, it's like just well, hmm. I don't know about that because they would know all your thoughts and feelings. I don't know. That's pretty scary. That's some Black Mirror level stuff. Yeah, we should write an episode on it. I'm gonna have a panic attack okay, right, if we talk on. about that. We're, we're gonna it's move a very on. small room. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this man. And his, like, background, like, growing up and stuff now. So, again, another scary thing is, like, he led a relatively normal life outside of his uh, burglaries. Outside the 18 to 25-year-old range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, let's see. He was basically, like, a regular person. You know, he went to school and stuff. He got his GED. Then after that, he actually served in the U.S. Navy. So he's a veteran. Uh, he did this during Vietnam, and he received several medals. Hmm. So, like, he was considered a good person, you know, yeah. because people didn't know anything about what he was doing uh, in secret. But he was, a, he was a veteran, and I'm sure he was honored and stuff, and, too. Um, he even, like, went to school and received an associate's degree after that and a bachelor's degree. His associate's was in political, police science, and his bachelor's was in criminal justice. So. He's got the degrees to kill. He's got a background like you, Omar. He's got no. a bachelor's in criminal justice. I'm not in criminal justice. It's time so, to go back, remember? Liberal art. <laughs> I'm telling you, get that, get, get that uh, Native American test and go back. You could be <laughs> in criminal justice, and you could catch people like this guy. Or he'd be. I think, I mean, yeah, we can say... He got the education to catch people like this, but he also got the education of how not to get caught. Yeah, exactly. So it's... you're you're basically like the uh, like holes, but like you're doing a different order. So like you got the podcast. Now you just need to go back and like get the degree. Oh, the investigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought holes you meant the, the, movie. the movie. I was like, was Shia LaBeouf? What? <laughs> you're like holes. You're like zero. Yeah, I'm like zero. You're basically like him. You're just doing it in a different order. So you already have experience in liberal arts college. Just go back. Get your degree in criminal justice. And then start catch a murder, solve a murder, yeah. and then work as a detective for 40 years. 
So he obviously, from his background, he later became a police officer. And he was ironically in charge of the Joint Attack on Burglary program. That's what I'm saying, dude. He's just figuring out. He's learning how to do it. Yeah, but like, that's so terrifying. His job was to catch these people, and he was the person. And he knew how not to get caught after. So we need to check all the people in the police departments that know how First. it goes. They could be the serial killers. Uh, he even got married twice. So like, that's uh, weird. That's- and sad for like the wife and kids. No way they knew any of this. I don't. Yeah. No they, way they knew, dude. They might have. They would have well, said something. To, to, I, I don't know if they were married during that time. But, but even then, like let's say he did it after, yeah, or he did it before they even met. Mm-hmm. Like no, I mean he's not the same guy. This guy's a psycho. If in two thousand one, like twenty years later, he's still calling. To toy with his victims. That's true. He he's still doing messed crazy up marriage. Stuff. Yeah, he um, was not a stable man. Like this, he was married. Also, he could sit very still. <laughs> You're forgetting that. <laughs> there, his two wives are like, man, how is he sitting so still? Um, but yeah, he had three kids with his second wife. It was even mentioned that when I think, so he got arrested for something else like before this mm-hmm. uh i don't it might have been like not paying a ticket or something like that but it was mentioned that he was living with his daughter and grandchild that's also terrifying like yeah. the, that his kid didn't know that she grew up with a serial killer as a father and she didn't know she was letting her child his grandchild around him around serial killer yeah and like after that like he mess up their lives too from what he did in the past because like who's she gonna trust she couldn't trust her own father yeah like it's not be crazy. a terrible person we can only hope that the grandchild is way too young to remember grandma i mean grandpa to remember him i don't know would you tell your grandkids hey papa ha was a serial killer um not kids no definitely not kids I think I'd tell them in high school when they're like, yeah. hey, I got to do a report. I'm like, I know who you do a report mm-hmm. on. You want to pull out the photo album. It's like the thing where you have to interview someone in your family. Like, yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. let me tell you about something. Interview me about grandpa. No. I actually go visit this penitentiary. Like, check out this police report, actually. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's pretty much it. Just a few things about, like, what's going on now. Um, now, like I said, he's... On trial for 13 murders, 13 kidnapping charges, and um, like I hope I said, he drops the soap a lot in jail. He probably does. Dude, he's so old. Like, it sucks because he's so old. He went so long without being punished in any way. Mm-hmm. Being able to get married, go back to school, get married. Like, he's lived kids. a whole life and everything, yeah. Yeah, dude. So, like, you're going to lock him up for what? All he's got is like 30 years. And before, if they would have caught him in 86, he would have been locked up for the rest of his life. Yeah. Now it's literally whatever's left of his life. Yeah. And like, I feel like things like this, like crimes that stir up a lot of emotion in people Mm -hmm. is the reason why people fight for the death penalty so much. Yeah. Because it's like, do you really need to kill him? Because the point of it is to like, 
well, the point of prison isn't supposed to be like uh, retribution or anything. It's supposed to be like keeping them away from the general public to keep the general public safe. Well, that's what I don't know. I don't want to talk about the prison system. It's pretty messed up. It's a little controversial too. Yeah, but well, uh, it's already a heavy episode. <laughs> yeah, it's just like stuff like this is like why people well, want like well, revenge. Like yeah, yeah, he yeah. needs to be punished for what he did. Yeah, because uh, it's so heinous. Um, but uh, very recently, so this in like April tenth, twenty nineteen. So this was what a uh, month ago, a little over a month ago. Uh, he announced the prosecutors announced that they'll be seeking the death penalty. So, like we say, they're going to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the judge ruled that cameras will be allowed in the courtroom during trial. So, catch that on HSN. I was going to say maybe this guy. This is definitely going to turn into some documentary or show. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for the Netflix. Uh, what is it called? Special? No. Documentary. It's like a documentary. No. <laughs> What's it called? They have documentaries where you play, it's played by a cast of actors. Reenactment. Sure, we'll go with reenactment. It's something mentary. Um, You can close your podcast now. Close the podcast? No, I mean like finish up. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You want to mute it, pause it? We we can't cut. But uh, yeah, so maybe it'll turn into a TV show. We can catch that. Um, I mean, that's that's all I have. Uh, That's the Golden State Killer. His last name was D'Angelo. So Joseph James D'Angelo was the Golden State Killer. Or I guess is the Golden State Killer. And uh, he's caught, but it, it's estimated that his case could take up to 10 years. And that could cost taxpayers like $20 million. And I'm assuming that's just because there's so many things that they have to go through. Like so much evidence um, that they have to go through in trial, you know, all all the ancestry work that was done to catch him biographical film biographical yeah. film i mean imagine being that investigator though who spent his whole career yeah whole like what do you think he wants done to this guy do i don't you think know he's an advocate of the death penalty i feel like in uh pretty in, liberal in california so it is but i mean like like i said the prosecutors are looking for uh, yeah, yeah, death yeah. penalty I don't know, dude. It's like it, what he did was just so heinous that people want to see him gone. Like, just don't want him to be able to experience anything yeah. positive at all. I just mean, there's always get, two get steps that you either want, want them just gone or you want them to suffer. You know? Yeah, and I've heard both. Like, we shouldn't do death penalty. Just let them suffer in jail. Dying is the easy way out. Well, I mean, I mean, like, suffer, like, torture the guy. You know, that. That's that's different. That's, that's different. Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, that's a, that's uh, getting pretty dark. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have. Golden State Killer. Well, empty, right? <sighs> empty. I hope yours is a little less it, empty. <laughs> it is not. It's as dark. Uh yeah. So uh. Well, I, I try to keep mine as lighthearted as possible by not describing all the things he's done. Yeah, I mean. You talked a lot more about the investigation, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but no, mine is uh, mine was actually it started really happy. I was like, "That's some interesting stuff. I've never heard about that." And then you look into the background of this thing, and you're like, "Oh, 
At least we get a little break. A little happy break, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first paragraph is the break for me, and then it moves on. Uh, So, if you travel to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you will find yourself at the doorstep of... The White House? The White House, that's correct. Yeah. And if you walk around, you'll come across the Oval Office. And if you walk to the back of the room, you will find a desk. Do you know what the desk is called? Oval Desk. Oval Office Desk. The Resolute Desk. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's the Resolute Desk. You know which desk I'm talking about, I'm sure. Yeah, the one... It's the one that has a seal on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's got a little door. It's made out of wood, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah, a good desk. <laughs> um, a desk that the majority of the presidents have used. I think only seven have not used it. Dang. And it's a desk that dates back 140 years. Hang on. Which presidents didn't use it? Uh, again, I write my report, so if I, it's not in front of me, I won't know. But for sure, I know... Like, there was a period where it was burnt down, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was... But not the desk. Yeah, but I'm sure, like, during that time... It's like... because before they didn't have an Oval Office. Yeah. So was... the desk was just in a different room or whatever. Uh-huh. And then when they built the Oval Office, that's when they started using it. So, Cause... like, a president was like, nah, that's a pretty dope desk. Put yeah, that in my room. Put that in my office. Um, Like, Nixon didn't use it. And then a couple presidents after JFK got assassinated didn't use it. Because that's the one he used. So... Oh, they did, like, out of respect for him or something? Yeah, yeah. They, they switched it. They gave it to the JFK museum or whatever and then it went to the smithsonian and then one president asked for it back and then it stayed in his office um another president already had a favorite chair <laughs> and it that desk was too low so they added some risers to it what so uh but obama's used it bush has used it and trump is using it currently this off the top of my head too you Damn. should be amazed uh so this the is the story mission. of how this desk came to be uh, this story begins in England. For the majority of this report, I want you to think oh, parts all, of the character. It's all about music. this desk? It's all about... No, well, we'll Pretty get much. to that. Okay. Uh, this story begins in England. Since the times of Christopher Columbus, Europeans have long sought a Northwest Passage. Uh, do you know what that is? Uh, they're trying to... America? Oh, they're trying to go to the spices? Yeah, so they're looking for a waterway that would cut through Canada... And connect the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Um, But as we know in modern geography, there's no such thing as this passage. I mean, the closest thing you can get to is the Panama Canal. Yeah, through the Panama Canal. Man made. Or you can go all the way below the southern tip, like around Chile. Yeah, my boy Magellan did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. I think. Um, So in 1804, Sir John Barrow became the second secretary of the Admiralty. And began to push the Royal Navy to Canada uh, to complete the Northwest Passage over the top of Canada and to navigate uh, toward the North Pole. Uh, he did this for the next four decades. So the second in Admiralty is a British position, and you're in charge of the naval ships. And he's like, we need to find that Northwest Passage. So he for the next four decades, he sent a whole bunch of expeditions up north. Um, let's see. Uh, there were a series of expeditions, all returning with no evidence of a Northwest Passage. Oh, no. Uh, They're going back to, hey, there's nothing there. Please let us stop. <laughs> Please, it's cold. Uh, among these explorers was John Franklin. He was second in command on some expeditions towards the North Pole, uh, and he traveled in the ships Dorothea, 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 and Trent, and he was the leader of overland expeditions uh, along the Arctic coast of Canada. 
So he's even crossing them ice. Uh, so like I said, it was over the course of decades. By 1845, Barrow, who was now 82, was nearing the end of his career, as one does. At 82, yeah. Usually in sooner. 1845, yeah. Uh, so he deliberated who should uh, take command of an expedition to complete the Northwoods Passage, and perhaps also find what Barrow believed to be an ice-free open polar sea around the North Pole. So for the past four decades, all the people came back with was like, well, it's not here. And it's not here. So it's maybe it's this little tiny strip we haven't checked. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where he thought it's got to be here. But another Obviously possibility not. is it's not here. Yeah. Uh, so his first choice for uh, to lead this expedition was tired of the Arctic and politely declined. So not too big. <laughs> uh, his second choice also declined because he had promised his new wife uh, he was done with the Arctic. So I get that married Dude, man, just tired of cold, trying to settle yeah, down, yeah. not in the Arctic. Uh, Barrel's third choice was rejected because uh, the Admiralty, uh, so the guy above him, uh-huh. uh, didn't like how young he was. So. Okay, but I mean that's that was just his third choice. Uh, he had considered a fourth choice, uh, but thought he was too argumentative. You can't, you can't okay. have that guy. After four choices, like you, you start to give up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't because he had his fifth choice. Francis Cozier. Uh He was of humble birth in Irish. So a real underdog Ooh, story here, right? Humble Irish Yeah, man. yeah. Uh, that counted against him, so they didn't choose him. Oh. <laughs> no. so that would have re- made a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he ends up going. We'll get to that. Uh, reluctantly, Barrow set up, settled on his sixth choice, the 59-year-old Franklin, which was the guy who led the two expeditions. Ah, uh, yeah. Franklin D. Roosevelt. No. Different? Uh, Sir John... Franklin. I literally just messaged, uh, mentioned him. My bad. It's okay. Uh, so the expedition was to consist of two ships, the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. Franklin was given command of Erebus and Kozier was appointed to the executive officer in command of Terror. There's an FX show called Terror. Do you want to guess how fitting that is for this voyage? They go on an expedition and they all die. Ooh, who's to say? Uh, the expedition set sail from Greenhith, England, on the morning of May 19th, 1845, with a crew of 24 officers and 110 men. So it's a pretty big crew, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool because the Wikipedia lists the manifest, so mm-hmm. you can like see all the people who are actually on board and what they did. Uh, they made a couple, or not cool, considering how depressing their fate is. Uh, yeah, I guessed it. We'll they, see. We'll see. They made a couple stops before heading out uh, for the long haul. At the Whalefish Islands of Disco Bay on the west coast of Greenland, 10 oxen carried by the transport ship were slaughtered for fresh meat. Supplies were transferred to Erebus and Terror, and the crew members wrote their last letters home. Letters written on board told how Franklin banned swearing and drunkenness. This already sounds like the worst expedition. This is like a boring, lame movie where there's no swearing and no drinking. Or it's a rated PG-13 movie (laughs) and they get one F-bomb and that guy gets kicked off the boat. (laughs) Uh, So the expedition uh, was last seen by Europeans in late July 1845 when Captain Dannett of the Whaler, this is the name of his whaling ship, Prince of Wales, W-A-L-E-S. What a guy. (laughs) 
Uh, uh, a man of I'm puns. a sucker for a good pun. Uh, and Captain Robert Martin of the Whaler Enterprise, not as cool, encounter terror in Erebus and Baffin Bay, waiting for a good condition to cross the Lancaster Sound. Okay, not gonna lie, this all sounds like Game of Thrones. Like I know, Lancaster. I yeah, I just watched Game of Thrones, but like I'm just thinking about these dudes on ships with giant harpoons. It's the, the dragon same aesthetic, I guess. There's a dragon following them. Uh, 1800s. So I don't know. I, I I was thinking Pirates of the Caribbean this whole time. I thought about that, um, but like not as fun without like the drinking and stuff. Like they're all just bored. No, it's the British ships in the Pirate of the Caribbean movies. I'll be honest, with you, I don't remember brains. watching them. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, so over the next 150 years, other expeditions, explorers, scientists, and interviews with uh, native Inuit peoples would piece together what happened next. What happens next? <laughs> well, Franklin's men spent winter on Beachy Island, uh, where three crew members died and they were buried there. So not too bad. Three, 110 men, three losses, 3%. that's fine. After traveling down Peel Sound uh, through the summer of 1846, Terror and Erebus became trapped in ice off King, I- uh, King William Island in September 1846 and were believed to have never sailed again. See, that's the problem okay. with sailing through ice caps. When the ice freezes, you can't sail. You're stuck. You're stuck. You're stuck like Chuck. Who says that? Who's Chuck? Uh... Wow, I don't know. That I think just you, you've turned to a dad. You're not even a dad. Oh my God, yet. I am a dad. To a beautiful puppy, baby boy. Okay, uh, this is a long report, so we gotta keep going. Yeah, we gotta go. Uh, so, according to a note dated uh, April twenty fifth, eighteen forty eight, that was left on an island by Cozier, which was the second in command. He was the one who was Irish and uh, humble, humble Irishman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so according to his note, Franklin had died on June 11, 1847. The crew had wintered off King William's Island in 46 and uh, 46 to 48. So for two years, they were just sitting ducks and ice ship. No drinking, no swearing. Well, the guy died in 47. So after that, I'm sure <laughs> they're all drinking. They had one year of drinking and swearing. Uh, and the remaining crew had planned to begin walking on uh, walking on April 26, 1848, toward the back river of the Canadian ma- uh, mainland. So they were going to ditch the sit- uh, ship and just walk back to Canada. Walk back walk to across Canada. the ice back to what? Canada. Uh, so nine officers and 15 men had already died. The rest would die along the way, most on the island and another 30 or 40 on the northern coast of the mainland, hundreds of miles away from the nearest outposts or Western civilization. So they made it to mainland Canada, but they still had hundreds of miles to go. Uh, to get and they all died. Yeah. Uh, I don't go into detail with this because I was like, I'll just walk, watch a quick documentary on this part. Like every documentary was four hours long. <laughs> but apparently the show, FX show, uh, Terror is really good. I think it's more fantastical uh-huh. like they're like made cooler like something is killing them or pursuing oh, them oh, okay. like evil spirits the reason they die or whatever but uh no basically like, hypothermia and starvation yeah uh, like i don't get into it but eventually they turn into cannibalism and stuff which uh that turned off some of the british people from going to look for them because like, when they found evidence of that they're like oh these are not heroes 
they turned yeah. to cannibalism. Like they're terrible people now. Yeah, which is that's the worst. I mean, they're dying. It would take me approximately three days before I ate someone's leg. Three days? Let's try it. <laughs> Let's wait. Um, wait. Oh, quick, quick pause. Yeah. How do we get from the table to here again? We haven't gotten to the table yet. I promise. Okay. It's all connected. Okay, so okay, you just start like from the beginning, beginning, like back in the gap, yes. and then it's gonna lead up to the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was. I promise. I was confused. No, I th- I thought I thought it went from table to this. I'm like, what is? No, no. How? It goes from this to this to this to table. <laughs> it sounds like those games where it's like, ooh, try to go from this like all the way to something else. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just goes off to crazy ways. Like you just cannibalism to table. It'll get there. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Just go ahead. Just go ahead. Uh, buckle in. I'll be patient. Uh, so there were several expeditions made to find Sir Franklin and his ships. Uh, the government wasn't too worried about not hearing from them, but after two years, they were like, oh, no, yeah, we should have heard back something by now. Um, at one point during the early searches, the Admiralty offered a reward of 20,000 uh, pounds, which is equivalent to roughly 2 million pounds today. Oh my god. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But those ships cost a lot of money too. That's true. Uh, so this is what he said. Uh, the reward to any party or parties of any country who shall render assistance of the crews of the Discovery ship uh, under the command of Sir John Franklin. Uh, so after a three-pronged effort failed, the British national concern and interest in the Arctic increased until finding Franklin became nothing less than a crusade. So, like, they were like, they couldn't find him. Isn't this so exciting? And then eventually he's like, uh. Bro, this is getting boring. <laughs> uh, um, this is really sad. Ballads such as Lady Franklin's Lament, uh, commemorating Lady Franklin's search for her lost husband, became popular. Lady Franklin is, like, best waifu. Best girl <laughs> in any anime. Like, she's the one who brought it up to them, like, we need to go find him. And they ignored her for two years. And then they're like, we need to go find him. And she would do fundraising to try and get her own private search party and stuff. She wanted her husband Dude, back. that movie should be about her. Yeah. Uh, it'd be a more boring movie. But, yeah, she should definitely pay. It'd be like a love story. Like, wow, she'd go through to any lengths to save her husband. I mean, that sounds pretty romantic. Yeah, or we can focus on the survival story. Cannibalism. Okay, yeah, there's that. Uh, So, in 1852, Edward Belcher was given command of the government Arctic expedition in search of Sir John Franklin. Uh, This was unsuccessful. Uh, Belcher's inability to render himself popular with his subordinates was particularly unfortunate in an Arctic voyage. And he was not wholly suited to command the vessels among the ice. So he was just a lame manager that no one liked. Correct. So four out of the five ships, the HMS Resolute. Resolute? Resolute. The name of the desk is the Resolute. <gasps> we're getting there. Okay, okay, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Pioneer, Assistance, and Intrepid were abandoned in the ice pack. Um, so I'll get into this, but they were eventually, they were court-martialed, but they were acquitted. Because, like, you left all these expensive ships out in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So they were court-martialed for that. But um, So this is where the real story of the desk begins. So the HMS was part of a five-ship squadron 
under Edward Belcher sent from Britain in April 1852 to search for the missing British explorer Sir John Franklin. The Western Division of the squadron, uh, consisting of HMS Resolute and HMS Intrepid, under Captain Kellett's command, so this is a different guy, wow. sailed west and wintered at Delhi Island off Melville Island. Uh, the Eastern Division, consisting of HMS Assistance and Pioneer under uh, Belcher's command, sailed north up through the Wellington Channel and windsored near uh, Northlum- Northumberland Sound. Nor- Northumberland. Northumberland. That's actually perfect, yeah. Bam. Uh, the men spent the autumn of 1852 and the spring and summer of 1853 sledging across the Arctic in search of Franklin's expedition. Uh, as well as the men of the HMS Investigator and the HMS Enterprise. So they were also looking for the survivors. It's been like 10 years. I was going to say, at this point, not really any survivors, right? Yeah. Uh, after finding and rescuing the crew of the Investigator, so uh, the Resolute and Intrepid sailed east. So they already had a ditch one ship. Right. So the Resolute and Intrepid came across the one of the five uh, and they all boarded his ship, and they ditched that ship. Um, so they began to sail east, but had to winter in the packed ice, gradually moving east all winter. <laughs> so slowly, they were stuck in ice, and it just slowly drifted east. What? Uh, so in the spring of 1854, Belcher ordered the abandonment of all four ships, and the men gathered at Beachy Island. So he's like, all right, you know what? Ditch your ships, meet me at Beachy Island, because they can just walk across ice, right? Uh-huh. And I'll pick you up there. <laughs> so they're just like sliding across ice. Yeah, yeah. Like they're having fun. They like... were mushing. They had their mush dogs. <laughs> uh, so by the time uh, that they were ready to leave, both assistance and pioneer had broken free and had traveled forty-five miles south in the Wellington Channel until they were only a few miles from Beachy Island. So like they got that order, and then as soon as they got that order, they broke free. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can sail out of here now. Uh, this made no difference to Belcher, who had simply, he was desperate to go home. So, uh, he was like, no, get off your ships and get on mine. We're not going to keep looking. <laughs> so, his eager friends, like, wait, guys, we can still do it. Like, no, can still- come on, let, let's just go home. I'm done. I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, he said since uh, he had made his two ships hells afloat, as he always did, his men were also desperate to leave. So since he was such a killjoy, they're like, yeah, no, let's leave. Uh, However, the other captains only abandoned Resolute and Intrepid under protest. So they're like, we don't have to ditch them. We have our ships right here. And it's like, get off your boat and get your butt onto this boat. We're turning this thing around and going home. (laughs) I'm tired. Uh, So the officers and men returned home on the HMS North Star and the relief ship. Uh, HMS Phoenix and HMS Talbot. So there's a lot of ship names here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't so basically, well, I haven't mentioned these yet. North Star, Phoenix, and Talboat came to their rescue. They called for ships to come rescue them. Right. Those were sent from Britain. Wait, but they so picked they're all res- the men up. They're rescuing the rescuers, right? Yes. Okay, just making sure that's right. Um, as a matter of course, in the court martials, uh, wait. As a matter of course, in the Royal Navy, all captains who lost ships were uh, tried by court-martials. Uh, so, Bachelor and the rest of them were also court-martialed, but uh, eventually they were all acquitted. 
Uh, Belcher, however, he never received another commission and was scorned by the officers of his uh, court-martial when they returned his sword to him in complete silence. Apparently that's a shameful thing to do. Resolute continued to move slowly eastward in the ice pack, and one year later, <laughs> in the autumn of 1855, she was 1,200 miles away from the place that she was abandoned. So 1,200 miles? 1,200 miles. That sounds like a lot. Uh, so, in September of 1855, an American whaler named James Buddington from New London, uh, Connecticut, found the empty Resolute, Resolute adrift in the packed ice off Cape uh, Walsinglingham. Walsinglingham, that's all I got. Yeah, no, that's that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> uh, in Davis Strait. He split his crew and sailed her back to New London, arriving home on Christmas Eve. So, wait, he just found, like, a dope-ass boat? Yeah. He just found a boat. This boat. Well, not at this point. At 55, when was it abandoned? I mean, it's been sailing afloat out on sea for a year with no one on it yeah so like he didn't just find like some some dinky kayak no he found like a british naval ship <laughs> so imagine imagine going out and tell your friends guys i found a whole naval ship yeah who would believe you imagine yeah this is the equivalent of like a guy on his um sea do traveling out <laughs> or no a guy on a four-wheeler driving on the desert and finding a tank <laughs> Found a tank just chilling there. It's mine now. Uh, so, Buddington ship George Henry had preceded Resolute. I think they had to tow him actually. Uh, oh no, he he tailed it. He wasn't towed. Ah. Uh, many were beginning to wonder if Buddington was still alive. So they're like, could that ship even make it here? And they're <laughs> like, he should have been right behind us. Uh, so the British government waived all claims to the ship upon learning its arrival in New London. They're like, just keep, just keep it. it. Just <laughs> keep it. It's trouble. yours. Finders keepers. So at the time of the salvage in 1840, 1855, Britain and America had several areas of active dispute. Wait, so, so, so at what, how many years later was this found? One year later. Oh, so, oh, so it was just missing for a year and they just found, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, part of it might have also been because, again, Britain and America were having several areas of active dispute, and they're like, let's not even negotiate for this ship. We're we fighting right now. I don't even <laughs> want to talk to you. Yeah, I don't even want to talk to you guys. Um, so after the Resolute was recovered, Senator James Murray Mason from Virginia proposed a bill to Congress for the federal government to buy the Resolute, refurbish her, and sail her back to Britain as a present, a peace offering. <sighs> Uh, the bill was passed and authorized more than $40,000 for the work, uh, and the president, Franklin Pierce, signed it into law. I forgot how much that was, but in today's money, it's a lot, forty k. Right. Uh, so Resolute was sent to the Brooklyn Navy Yard, where she underwent a complete refit. Uh, a glow up. It's pimp your ride, you know? Pimp my boat. <laughs> pimp my boat. Uh, uh, and she was assigned to Commander Henry... Hartstein, uh, USN, which sail- and he sailed her back to Britain, arriving in Spithead on December 12, 1856. After the Resolute was towed to Crows, or Cows, uh, so the Queen and Prince Albert could tour her, and then Captain Hartstein presented the ship to Queen Victoria as a gesture of peace and goodwill on September 17, 1856. So the way this makes it sound is like he sailed it, and then 
they were like, come check it out, dude. This is your old ship. And they were all like, oh, yeah, it's just like I remembered it. That's so cool. So kind of they're on like, the... it's yours. Here, pal. Here, pal. So soon, talk of imminent war ceased, and the gift of the Resolute was seen as an instrumental in the easing of these tensions. That's all you need to do? Yeah, just buy buy him a gift. It's like, hey, uh, they should have did that like when like we were trying to be you know our own country or whatever. It's like, hey, guys, okay, I'm trying to leave. Leave me alone. Stop taxing me. But here's a ship. We were like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, cool. Nice. Thanks. Bye. Uh, so Lady Franklin had hoped that the British would use the ship for a new search for her husband and those lost. However, by 1856, the Royal Navy doubted that any of Franklin's men could still be alive after 11 years. Oh, she's still trying? Yeah. Uh, so they declined to support a new search, nor was the Navy willing to let Franklin use the Resolute for a privately funded search. So she was like, well, you don't have to give me any men. I'll fund it. Just let me use the ship. Yeah. And they're like, no. It's like, bro, it's my uh, gift. Britain could not loot. Yeah, Britain could not risk losing the Resolute after an important role the ship played in smoothing out the relationship between her and America. <laughs> Resolute stayed in home waters until she was taken into Breaker's Dock at uh, Chatham Dockyard to be retired in 1876. Resolute was later savaged for timber. What are we on time? Uh, like one sixteen. Perfect, because I'm on my last paragraph. <laughs> Bam. Uh. So, the British government ordered at least three desks to be made from the timbers of this ship. And they were constructed by cabinet makers at Joyner's uh, shop at that dockyard. A large partner desk was presented to the U.S. President uh, Rutherford, H., uh, Rutherford B. Haynes in 1880 as a gesture of thanks for the rescue and the Haynes return. Or Hayes? Hayes. Haynes's boxer brand. <laughs> Uh, thanks for rescue and return of the Resolute. A second desk called the Grinnell Desk or the Queen Victoria Desk was also made from the timbers of the HMS Resolute. So they they repurposed the gift. It's like, here's mm-hmm. this gift and they're like, mm, it's not as cool anymore. I'm going to make it a desk. But it's better than re-gifting. <laughs> the like ship. imagine if they said, take this ship back. <laughs> here's your ship. Uh, so... Uh, and then there was a this smaller uh, lady's desk was presented to the widow of Rutherford B. Hayes. No, uh, the widow of Henry uh, Grinnell in 1880. So they didn't even give it to the widow of, of like, the guy who got lost at ship, Lady yeah, Franklin. I, I assumed second. Uh, that was my second guess. <laughs> I thought that's who they would have gave it to, but no, they gave it to this guy. But I mean, he did a lot too. Uh, they gave it to her in recognition of her husband's generous contributions to the search of Franklin. So apparently he was a big uh, procurer of donations. Uh, so he like helped. Yeah, he funded a lot. Um, so in 18, no, in 1983, it was given to the new Bedford Whaling Museum and it's collected. And it is in their collection in New Bradford, Massachusetts. That's the Grinnell desk. The third desk, a more accurately a writing table, was commissioned by Queen Victoria, and it remains in the royal collection. So she just kept it as a, her own personal desk. Dang. Yeah. But I mean, so when I f- looked this one up, it was like um, desk made from empty ship. I was like, that sounds awesome. And then I started researching, and I'm like, well, 
why was this ship stuck in ice? Oh, it was looking for someone else. What happened to those people? Oh, they wow. all died. Cannibalism. Deaths. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I think it's super interesting. Uh, some other interesting stuff is um, there's a door on the desk, like a secret door. Uh-huh. It's not a secret door. It's in front. I was going to say, we know about it's it. Got, <laughs> yeah, it's got the seal on it, um, the U.S. seal. And apparently that was added because... Who was it? Was it Franklin D. Roosevelt? The one who had polio. I have no I idea. I want to say... Hoover? No, I think it was Franklin D. Roosevelt. He added the door because when he gave his broadcasting, like, they recorded him for live TV. They didn't want people to see his legs in a wheelchair oh. or anything. So they added that door to cover the bottom of the desk. Interesting. And they were supposed to put a safe right there, but that was never completed and then there's pictures of jfk's kids playing around in the desk and there's a famous picture of one kid in the desk in the, like yeah his head is sticking out the open door gotcha and jfk is like looking at papers and stuff um so yeah it's a cool desk i don't know if you recognize it uh you remember what's it called national treasure do you remember that movie with nicholas cage yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well in one part he goes to the White House and he starts looking at that desk. Then he's like, "There's a, an exact copy in England, and that's this desk." Oh, yeah, so, so there's a reference in the cool. movie. Yeah, nice. But uh, that's that's the story of the Resolute desk. What do you think they did with the rest of the wood? Because like clearly they didn't need all oh, the no. wood from the ship for three desks. I don't know. They probably just built more ships or something. I think some dude just took home a piece of wood. It's like, you know what? This is mine now. Yeah. Um, I know that President Obama was actually given a piece of it which was turned into a pen or something okay that's pretty cool yeah he was giving a piece of it that was turned into a pen and it was something else like uh the letter or something or the title like the vehicle's title <laughs> uh to the ship or whatever so that's pretty cool yeah because like i feel like with a pen you could like pass it down like here kids here's a pen yeah with the desk like that's a pain in the ass like, and you can't even keep it like if you're the president and you sit there for eight years, yeah. you're like, this is a really good desk. I think I'm going to take it. I did see you can buy one on Amazon, a replica, but it's like 5K. That desk is probably so heavy. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, the replicas are made out of a different wood. Apparently, it's I'd really imagine. hard to make those woods. Another thing that was replaced on the desk was um, the eagle originally on the seal on the door used to look towards the arrows, but they changed it to look towards the olive branch. Why? Signaling no more war, only peace. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. 70s? It might have been, actually. (laughs) During the murders of the... Well, no, 70s was like Vietnam War time. So after the 70s... Well, no, after that was Ah, the Cold War. So when the Zodiac Killer was in Vietnam getting his medals. Yeah, yeah. Not the Zodiac, (laughs) the Golden State. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, Golden State. So... I guess... uh, Did you find it interesting? Like, I, I think American history is pretty cool. It was okay. It was okay. I got lost in a lot of the names. There's a lot There's of names. There's a lot of shit. names. The only ones you got to know is the Resolute was the one that went out to look for Erebus and Terror. The, the overarching idea is really interesting. That this artifact then became, An like, just Priceless, yeah. a desk. But, yeah. but you're looking at this desk and it's like, this used to be a whole ship. That, yeah, that's got to be insane to think about when you're sitting there. Right. And you think Trump is sitting there like, dang, I'm sitting in a ship right now. (laughs) And it's not even one of those things like he probably doesn't know because on the side of the desk, the part Mm -hmm. facing him, 
it's a seal that Queen Victoria added to the desk that says, like, on this day in history, Queen Victoria turned this ship into a desk in honor of the U.S. gift back in 1885 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's got a seal on it talking about the history of the desk. I, I think I think history is pretty interesting. Like, small things like that, when you, like, when you think about it, it's like, wow, like, so long ago, this was something much different than what it is now yes Uh, it it was really interesting to learn about it because it's one of those things like you'll learn about the white house burning down and stuff but you won't learn about this desk that was a boat that was stranded at sea i mean granted one thing's a lot much more significant than the other but uh i beg a differ (laughs) (laughs) both interesting nonetheless so so uh i guess that's that's all Uh, our word today was empty e-m-p-t-y and uh Zodiac Killer and... Uh, no, Golden State Killer. Again, Golden State Zero Killer. Four. I'm thinking about... And the Resolute Cruise, Desk. The Resolute Desk. Uh, so, thanks for listening, guys. You can find us at OWordPod on Instagram. And you can find both of us at Omar Ledesma underscore... No, Omar underscore Ledesma. And mine is Johnny underscore Ha. So, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.